Welcome back to another episode of Fireside Football, presented by Empire Sports Media. As always, you're here with Brendan and Dylan. Dylan, how you doing today, man? I'm doing great. Excited to talk about the new uh, nearly half a billion dollar man, Patrick Mahomes, in the AFC West. Yeah, man. So, you know what? Let's start off with the Chiefs then, with the AFC West. Uh, Mahomes got a 10-year contract extension worth up to $503 million dollars with incentives tied in. Um, now, some of these in- incentives include an additional $1.25 million for winning an MVP award and a $1.25 million incentive for winning an AFC championship game. How many times do you see him hitting these incentives? I think that, and this is something I think we'll talk about a little more as the show goes on, but I think that part of this deal that is important is, like you said, those incentives, because I think the AFC Championship game is going to be something that the Chiefs are frequent in, especially in the next few years. Maybe the window changes as different quarterbacks develop because it's a 10-year span. You don't know how many times he will have the window to win a Super Bowl based on other teams and how they change and develop. But I think that the Super Bowl and the AFC Championship are two realistic goals, especially in the first half of this deal with Mahomes. Yeah, absolutely. This is a team that I think is going to be consistently getting to at least the championship game. Uh, I don't know if you caught um, Sammy Watkins on ESPN at all in the past couple of days, but he's been arguing with Stephen A. Smith saying that, you know, the Chiefs are really the team to beat, and there's no one in Sammy Watkins' eyes, and I think many people's eyes, that can even compete with them and, you know, can try to dethrone them. So I think the Chiefs are far and away the favorites um, for at least next season, maybe a couple seasons after that. Now, along with the incentives, there's a couple of guarantees involved in this contract that are interesting to me. So he was guaranteed around $63 million at signing. You know, that's pretty common to have a guarantee at signing. But he also has a guarantee of around a $141 million if he were to get injured. Now, that's a, large, that's a large guarantee. I mean, maybe not in the grand scheme of things with a $503 million contract, but $141 million guaranteed if he gets injured is a lot of dough for the Chiefs to uh, cough up if something like that happens. Hopefully it doesn't, but that is definitely a possibility. Now... I think we should go to how they did last season. They were Super Bowl champions, of course, uh, but they, it was you know a tough road to get there. They were down against the Titans. Um, they were down against the Houston Texans, twenty-four nothing. And uh, did you see what DeAndre Hopkins posted as a reason why Mahomes should have gotten that contract? Uh, I did not. I'm still fixated. I'm actually on right now. I'm trying to find the exact details because I saw something that every second, every second, so we've already been on recording this for three minutes, so in that span, Patrick Mahomes has already made nearly $200. He yeah, I mean, that's just, that's ridiculous. I that, mean, yeah, that's ridiculous. My mind is blown right now. I have very few words to explain. The, the little nuances <laughs> of this deal are insane. Well, uh, being that you didn't see it, as DeAndre Hopkins posted, um, there are 24 reasons why Mahomes deserve that contract. And if you remember, they were up 24 nothing against the Chiefs. Uh, so that was a little joke that DeAndre Hopkins had um, kind of at the uh, Texans' expense there. But 
you know, weighing their additions and losses after their Super Bowl win, you know, they added defensive end Taco Charlton, offensive lineman Mike Remmers, and tight end Ricky Seals-Jones, to name a few, but they also got LSU running back Clyde Edwards-Hilaire with the last pick in the first round, and I don't know about you, but I think that was a great pick for the Chiefs. I think, you know, he's a receiving back. He can run between the tackles, but he's very good at receiving the ball, and you know, I think that could be a great addition to that team in that running back room um, with Mahomes buying extra time and potentially having to dump it off a few times. I think Edward Hilaire could be up there for potential rookie of the year. How about you? Yeah, I love the running back room there. Uh, Edward Hilaire, I think he adds the uh, he adds the little bit of both. With Williams, I feel like you got a guy who can churn out yards and Damian Williams, not Daryl Williams. But and I think that you have that with him. Then you add Hilaire, who can kind of do both. And then you have Darwin Thompson. He's kind of their third guy, whereas he, he's kind of like a Tariq Cohen clone, where he can kind of do it all as more of a receiving back, though, prominently, and also use that small stature in a way to kind of be a dynamic back out of the backfield. So my point here, though, is they have two well-versed guys, but then you have a guy who can do it all. And I think I give it a one, two-year span before he is their lead back. And it could end up being by, like, week six he's the lead back because he's a talented back. I mean, you ask Joe Burrow and you ask some of those LSU coaches, and he was their key piece last year in some of their eyes because defenses saw stuff that scouts apparently saw and the media didn't take a lot of notice to because if you remember, this pick was not lauded by a lot of analysts when it happened because a lot of people were thinking with all the players on the board because a lot of guys had slipped into the second round in this year's draft because of how loaded it was there was opportunity to add weapons for the long haul that weren't as underrated I guess as Edward Hilaire so this pick was a little shocking to some people but if you really looked at it Edward Hilaire was high on my board at running back because of that versatility and the fact that I mean you've got guys like Ed Orgeron who as you saw last year, did an incredible job with that team. And I think that the fact that he spoke so eloquently about Clyde and his impact on the team said something, and now he's going from the college champions to the Super Bowl champions, and I really think that he's going to have a lot of success next year. Yeah, I'm excited to see what he does for Kansas City. I think that was a great pick for them. But, you know, we can't talk about the positives for them the whole time. This isn't a Chiefs podcast. (laughs) So, you know, some of the losses they had were left tackle Cameron Irving, uh, Emmanuel Ogba, Reggie Ragland, Kendall Fuller, and offensive lineman Stefan Wisniewski. So, you know, they had some losses, um, but, you know, I don't see any of those. I mean, maybe Reggie Ragland and Emmanuel Ogba, but other than that, you know, not really huge hits to this team where it's going to have them with a huge drop-off this season. I mean, what do you think they're... What do you think they're going to do this upcoming season, record-wise? Do you think they're going to make the Super Bowl again? You think they're going to repeat? I've got 13-3, and three, and I've got them in the AFC Championship game. I think that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be safe to put this out there. I think they make back-to-back Super Bowls. I don't know if they'll win back-to-back because I think that it's, it's incredibly hard to do it. But if they can get there, they've obviously got a, a puncher's chance to win it. But I think that this team... It stayed stagnant where there's not been, you know, you touched on Agba and Raglan as maybe being a few key losses, but this team has had a very good mentality towards replacing players in the past, and I think that they're going to be fine because the way they accumulate depth, they do it similarly in a way to 
how Bill Belichick does it in New England, where there's always a guy. There's always a guy who can step up and replace. You know, they lose Cameron Irving, but they added Lucas Niang. And you had guys who were deaf the whole time. And I feel like that's something that they did very well, whether it be drafting, whether it be really anything. I mean, if you even look at their wide receiver room, you add Demarcus Robinson to most other teams, and he's probably their slot guy, maybe even a number two guy, because he's talented enough. Obviously, he doesn't see a lot of production because you've got three dynamic guys in Hill, Watkins, and Hardman. But the way they accumulate depth, I think that they... They'll make up for any losses they had, and I think they're going to make another run to the Super Bowl. What are you thinking? Yeah, no doubt. They do a great job of putting together a team there, and then obviously led by Andy Reid. But, you know, actually, I want to put this back to you for a second. Now that you're on the spot and talking about the Super Bowl, who do you have them playing in the Super Bowl? Uh, I want to say TBD, but I'm actually, I think maybe not this year, but... uh. I think maybe Seattle. You know, we talked about the NFC West last week, and I just had a taste in my mouth that didn't sit with me about Seattle. I liked where I had them, but I felt like they're the kind of team, and I think I mentioned this last week, at least in off-air I had said this to you. I don't know if it was on-air, but I had said you can't be the same team three times, and I think that I had San Francisco beating Seattle twice, but I think when it came to the playoffs, I thought Seattle was going to be able to top them. And if they can top San Francisco, I think they head to the Super Bowl. And I think that they'll be able to uh, make an incredible matchup for the Chiefs. And I think that that game would be phenomenal to watch. That would be a really fun Super Bowl, Russell Wilson versus Patrick Mahomes. Both both quarterbacks can really make stuff happen outside of the pocket. But uh, let's move on here to defense, enough with uh, quarterbacks. Who is your defensive player to watch for the Chiefs? So for the Chiefs, I have Juwan Thornhill. Before he went down with the ACL last season, it was the regular season finale. He was having an incredible year, at least by rookie standards. He was pretty high up there, I believe, in interceptions. He had three. He was tied for 20th, which is decently impressive. Uh, 58 tackles, uh, five pass deflections, nothing eye-opening, but if you looked at his tape, which was something I kind of didn't lead up to this, he had a lot of athleticism displays that were very eye-opening for me. He just was able to do a lot on the field and make an impact that the stats won't show, and I think that that's going to be something that there's going to be a, a production improvement, I think, in year two, but I think that He's going to be counted on a little more, and I think that what he displayed last year was impressive enough for him to have an expanded role next year. So I think that's where I would stand for a breakout player. But this defense as a whole I do like. I think that it's a uh, talented group. How about you for your defensive guy? Yeah, for me it's tough to pick one player as a breakout uh, potential because, you know, this defense has improved greatly um, with last season compared to the years before. And, you know, I just like this defense. I mean, I'm going to have, you know, being that I have to pick someone here, I'm going to do it strictly off of bias and who I like. I love Tyron Matthew. I'm a huge Honey Badger fan. Uh, I, I, you know, I was a big fan of his all the way back when he was in Arizona. And his addition to this defense really, really helped solidify that back end that helped them get to the Super Bowl. I mean, I'm sure you remember they had a very shaky defense for a couple seasons at least. And it really took a big improvement last season. And, I, you know, Tyron Matthew is a big part of that. So I think he's going to have another solid season. 
And, you know, I just like watching him play. I like the way he moves around the field, and I like what he brings to the team. Let's move on here to the Denver Broncos. They went 7-9 last season, second in the division. And, you know, I have them finishing second in the division again, maybe at 8-8, eight and eight, potentially 9-7, and seven, but I think 8-8 eight and eight is a good record for them. Uh, Drew Locke is going into another season. He showed some promise, some, uh, some playmaking ability. They added uh, in the offseason, Jarrell Casey, cornerback A.J. Bouye, Melvin Gordon at running back, punter Sam Martin, center Graham Glasgow, and tight end Nick Vanette. And they also, in the draft, acquired Jerry Judy from Alabama to pair up with Drew Locke, Cortland Sutton, Philip Lindsay, and now Melvin Gordon. What are your expectations for this offense this upcoming season? Very, very high. I said last year towards the end of the season when I was I was very impressed with how Drew Locke was able to manage the game I don't think and I said this when Drew Locke came out he's not the kind of quarterback that is going to be the Patrick Mahomes or Russell Wilson that could win it on his own but if pieces are around him he's going to have success last season towards the end of the season he proved that he started to gel a lot more with Cortland Sutton even with Deshaun Hamilton a little bit and Philip Lindsay getting that rapport, Noah Fan he had a lot of success with as well, and they won two games to finish off the season. With that said, then they go into the off season, and you add Melvin Gordon and pair him with Philip Lindsay. They didn't even have to make that move because of how good of a back Philip Lindsay is. Now you add him with Melvin Gordon, who people forget was a top back just two years ago. There was the drama with the holdout last year and then competing with Eckler for reps because Eckler was being kind of transitioned into that lead back in Los Angeles, and we'll talk about him in a little bit. But Melvin Gordon is a talented back, so that is a big addition in its own right. But then you go into the draft and you add Jerry Judy, who was my top receiver. You add K.J. Hamler, who I watched at Penn State tear it up all of last year with speed and dynamic playmaking ability. And then on the offensive line, they also had a great offseason in terms of adding Cushenberry and Glasgow, who Glasgow was one of the top guards on the market, and Cushenberry was one of the top guards and interior offensive linemen in the draft. So they had an incredible draft, in my opinion, towards the offense. The defense was already very good, and just this offense, though, is going to have an opportunity to have immense success this year. And I think that Drew Locke's the only piece that really would scare me and drew Locke is a good quarterback i think that next season he's gonna have high expectations because of how many people are starting to realize this offense has got some firepower but i think that if uh by 2021 this team's gonna be a very very dangerous team yeah this offense can definitely take a big jump uh, drew Locke showed occasionally last year that you know he played okay uh, he can make some throws, he can make some plays, but he had to get more pieces around him. He had to develop more as well. And, you know, through the draft in this offseason, this offense really made some big additions. They did lose, however, um, quarterback Joe Flacco, although he was not expected to start at all. Fullback Andy Janovich, center Connor McGovern, and running back Devontae Booker. The Booker loss, he didn't play that much. They signed Melvin Gordon, big upgrade there, so... Not a big loss at all. The defense, though, did lose. Safety Will Parks, defensive end Derek Wolf, and cornerback Chris Harris Jr. How big of a loss do you think Chris Harris is going to be for the secondary? Because he was a, a pretty good uh, cornerback for this team. I think his loss is going to hurt, but they have the resources to make up for it. Bryce Callahan, A.J. Boye, 
Um, they're two good corners, and I think that they're going to have good success. Uh, Duke Dawson, another guy I like in that secondary. So they're going to be okay. The loss that actually stuck out to me, and Shelby Harris um, came on my personal podcast and talked to me about this, is Derek Wolf, and Von Miller talked about it a lot as well. The impact that Derek Wolf had might not have been as apparent on the field, but off the field, it's been said that Wolf was a huge impact on a lot of these guys. He was able to mentor them and kind of teach them little aspects of things that, you know, even Von Miller, who's one of the most prolific pass rushers in football, was able to pick up a lot from him and, you know, kind of learn from him by seeing what he's doing and off the field learning little things that he was able to pass down as a vet. And I think that Derek Wolf's impact is something that in the locker room is going to get slept on a little bit. But uh, looking at their losses, who did you see as having a big impact? And did you think Chris Harris was a huge loss? I think Chris Harris was the biggest loss they had. I mean, you touched on Derek Wolf off the field. On the field, they did sign Jarrell Casey, who I think in at least the short term can provide some help at the defensive end spot. He is a little bit older, so we'll see how he does throughout the whole season. But he has been very good throughout his career, so we'll see how he plays. He's actually my defensive player to watch. But yeah, I think Chris Harris is the biggest loss that this defense has faced. Um, he was a very good cornerback for Denver. We'll see how the secondary plays. They still have some very good and young players in that secondary. Um, I really like Justin Simmons, the safety. I think he's very good. But uh, we'll see. Um, we'll see. What's your record prediction for them? I had them at eight and eight, as I said earlier. I have them at ten and six. I think that uh, wow. we're going to talk about it in the coming weeks with some of the other AFC teams. But this team sticks out to me as the team that's going to make the wild card and maybe win a game in the playoffs. They're not ready yet to make a big push. But Vic Fangio, it also gets slept on, is also a very good head coach. I think that he's been a coordinator his whole career, but. Last season, you saw it a little bit in how he was able to rally that team in those last two games. And maybe it was partly locked, maybe it was a combination. But truly, I think that Vic Fangio has the capability to lead this team to the playoffs next season. And maybe it's a bold prediction. It seems pretty bold as I'm saying it, but I think that this team is definitely <laughs> going to make some noise next year. And 10 and 6 is where I feel. Why do you say 8 and 8? Is it more of just a middle-of-the-road prediction, or do you think that uh, I am overhyping the Broncos team? I think that's a little bit of both. I think you are overhyping them a little bit. I mean, don't get me wrong. They made some improvements, and they're going to be a solid competitive team, but, I mean, 10 and 6, man. Wow, that's that's a little bold for me. I'm going to go 8 and 8. That's a little bit of a safer record prediction. Uh, they did go 7 and 9 last year. I think they're going to improve. I think that's that's a given enough. Um, but, you know, we spoke about the team that Melvin Gordon is going to be helping out this year. So let's move on to the team that he used to be with, the Los Angeles Chargers. They went 5-11 and 11 last year, last in the division. Uh, you know, in the draft, they drafted Justin Herbert, the quarterback out of Oregon, and he's going to be competing for a job alongside Tyrod Taylor. I think that's the biggest storyline to me at least for this team going forward I think they're expected to start the season with Tyrod Taylor but you know I think Justin Herbert's going to take the reins of this team over uh potentially halfway through the season what do you see all right so before Los Angeles fans bash me for the second week in a row 
All right, let me get ready for this. I'm not feeling so hot about this Chargers team. I I have them staying at five ele- five and eleven, and I think that it's going to be partly due to Herbert and Taylor. We talked a little bit off air. I had not. I didn't publicize it, but I had personally, in terms of fandom of the NFL, wanted Herbert in Miami and Tua in Los Angeles, just because. The weaponry that Los Angeles has would fit well, I think, with Tua's play style, and I think that same way kind of fits with Herbert, and I think that Herbert's going to have success in Los Angeles at some point, and I think that 2021, more poignantly 2022, is where I think that they're going to have more success, but I think that Tyrod Taylor is still, I mean, he showed a few years ago in Buffalo, he's a capable quarterback, I mean, he's only 30, he's not crazy old it seems like he's been in the league forever but I think he's gonna compete I think they're a team that are gonna they're gonna be in close games but for some reason it's just the taste in my mouth with this team is similar to what I had with the Rams where I love their defense I really really like that defense I think they're gonna make a lot of noise they're gonna be dangerous but it's just that offense I think that Austin Eckler is a very good second back but I think that as the lead back, I don't know how much faith you have in him. Justin Jackson, he's talented. Joshua Kelly, I really like. But I just don't have a lot of faith in that team. Hunter Henry seems like he's always hurt. I mean, the wide receiver room. You got Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. Who do you have after that, really? I don't know. I'm just not feeling hot about this team. How about you? Yeah, I'm kind of on board with you. 5-11 um, and 11 is... A, is a boldly low prediction, but I'm going to go with that too. I think, you know, the quarterback room is really going to be what's deciding the outcome for this team. They have Tyrod Taylor, who, like you said, showed he is a solid starting quarterback back when he was in Buffalo. He's a game manager. He can't really put a team on his back and lead them to the promised land. Although one of his upsides is he doesn't really turn the ball over. He has a very good touchdown interception rate. Um... But, you know, he needs the weapons around him, like you said. And, you know, they have Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, two solid receivers. Um, Austin Eckler at running back. But, you know, they lost Melvin Gordon, fullback Derek Watt, and wide receiver Travis Benjamin. So that third wide, re- wide receiver spot's really up for grabs. And, you know, going to their defense, you said you really like their defense. And they got better. They added Linville Joseph, Chris Harris Jr., and Nick Vigil. So this defense definitely got better definitely got more competitive so I think Tyrod Taylor like he did in Buffalo if he starts the season he's going to be relying on that defense a little bit more heavily because he's not going to be putting up the the big big numbers uh, like Patrick Mahomes will be in this division Um, you know they also lost players though such as Phillip Rivers who went to Indianapolis Russell Okum, Thomas Davis we said Travis Benjamin and Melvin Gordon and they also lost safety Adrian Phillips. So a lot of turnover in this team. And it's it's actually kind of funny to me. A lot of free agency moves were going on within this division. Teams were just, you know, flipping to another team in this division. Melvin Gordon left the Chargers and went to the Broncos. Chris Harris left the Broncos and went to the Chargers. So that's going to be interesting to see when the season starts. Um, with Justin Herbert and Tyron Taylor fighting for that quarterback spot, I have the quarterback room as the offensive unit to watch uh, for this team this upcoming season. I think it's going to be really interesting. I don't expect Herbert to start any time before week six. I think he starts 
playing games around week eight or nine. Um, do you agree? I mean, how long do you think Herbert's going to have to sit back and watch behind Tyrod Taylor? See, this is probably one of the hardest things to talk about in this whole division for me because Tyrod Taylor, you, you know, I touched on it before. You touched on it as well. Taylor wasn't a bad quarterback at any point in his career. There's not been a moment where I was like, Tyrod Taylor is an awful quarterback. He's a game manager, and I don't think that he is the kind of quarterback where he's going to have bad games to the point where you say, all right, yeah, Justin Herbert can do that much better because as a rookie, can he do that much better is the debate. Tyrod Taylor is kind of like a lesser version of Alex Smith to me where Taylor's going to keep them competitive in games, I truly think. I don't know how long he starts. I think I actually have it a little later now that I'm thinking about it a little more. I'm going to go week 12 in that range for Herbert to take over, kind of the back half of the season once they're truly out of competition. And I think that that's when he'll start. So that's my kind of evaluation on that side of it. But at the same time, I could also see Herbert flashing in preseason and them just saying, yeah, take it. So it kind of goes both ways for me that I don't know. I really don't know how high the organization truly is on Tyrod Taylor, how much of it is smoke and mirrors, and how much of it truly is thinking Tyrod Taylor could carry them through this season and then Herbert could be the guy towards the end of the season and at the start of next season and for the foreseeable future. So I don't know the way they truly think about Taylor or if Tom Telesco and Anthony Lynn are just blowing smoke. But my unit to watch is their offensive line. I'm not going to talk about it a lot. It's just that it's a lot of vet guys, and I don't know how long there's much career continuity left for a lot of them, so I don't know how they'll fare this year. Now, something I want to add back to the quarterbacks is there's been a lot of talk recently about teams that could potentially be interested in Colin Kaepernick, and you know the Chargers were actually one of the teams that were mentioned as a team that could potentially look into giving Kaepernick a workout and potentially a roster spot. So, you know, Anthony Lynn said he likes Kaepernick. Anthony Lynn, uh, I believe, said that Kaepernick somewhat fits their play style, if I'm remembering the quote correctly. So if Kaepernick is, let's just say, for the sake of this discussion, brought into the Chargers quarterback room, how much do you think that changes Justin Herbert's timeline? Uh, Not at all. I think that, and maybe I'm wrong here, and I think this is a topic that's a little sensitive with the off-the-field aspects of Colin Kaepernick, but I'm talking strictly on-the-field Colin Kaepernick. I'm not talking about anything off the field. I'm talking Colin Kaepernick as a football player. He had the moments where, in San Francisco, the defense could not figure him out anywhere else, and it seemed like Kaepernick was the next big thing, and he had that Lamar Jackson rise And I do think that Colin Kaepernick still has talent, but he does not have talent enough to where he's going to win this job. I think that at the very least, he'd maybe compete with Tyrod Taylor for a backup job, but honestly, or a backup job in the future. I don't think Kaepernick will have any impact on the team this year if he signs. Maybe another team that's really hurting a quarterback, but I just can't see Kaepernick having a big impact based on how he was playing when the whole kneeling controversy and all the protesting that he was doing happened because at that time he was struggling. He wasn't playing good football. He was on the bench actually. And it just, time has gone on and he hasn't played. 
So they're, you're going off the last thing I saw, and going off the last thing I saw, Colin Kaepernick wasn't at a level where he'd have any impact on current NFL. Where do you stand with it? I don't know. I mean, I used to love watching Kaepernick play. Like you said, he had that Lamar Jackson type of feel to him, the way he could move around, and the way defenses really struggled to figure out him running the ball. And you know, he had a great arm. But, you know, I agree. If he were to potentially sign with the Chargers, I don't think he'd step on the field at all this season. I think he would be a backup guy. I still think Tyrod Taylor's going to start at least the first half of the season, and then Herbert's going to be the guy. I don't think they want to push back Herbert with Kaepernick if he were to sign because they drafted Herbert in the first round to be their quarterback of the future, not to sit behind Colin Kaepernick or Tyrod Taylor for a long period of time. But, you know, we spoke about their additions, and, you know, I touched on Chris Harris Jr. earlier, and he's my defensive player to watch. I think adding him to this Chargers secondary really makes it a really, really good unit. You know, the other cornerback is Casey Hayward, and then, of course, they have Derwin James at safety. I mean, those three can be part of one of the best secondaries in football, I believe. Do you agree? I mean, I think I think there's no doubt that this secondary is going to be good this upcoming season. I actually don't think there's a single spot on this defense, and it goes similarly to the way I kind of viewed the Broncos' offense, where there was the Broncos' offense, I really didn't have a player on the team I didn't like, and on the offensive side of the ball. On the defensive side of the ball, there were some guys I wasn't highest on. And it goes the opposite way with, Los Angeles Chargers because there's not a guy on this defense that I think that isn't capable of putting up big numbers next year. I mean, you look at the secondary you just touched on, and with Harris, James, King, Hayward, Adderley, there's not a guy that I just said that couldn't put up insane numbers next year, and you wouldn't be, well, yeah, I just expected that because they are all talented pieces and I think that then you look at the other aspects of their defense that's not my group to watch and I do think that they're going to have a great year and that secondary is going to be insanely good next year um the pass rush is a little little worrisome in my sense of the defensive line is a little scary to me in the interior but as for the outside I mean Joey Boza is Joey Boza Melvin Ingram is dominant even Denzel Perryman makes some noise. Kenneth Murray, that's my guy to watch. He's so versatile. I think that they could use him as a pass rusher if they need, as a you know coverage linebacker. He can kind of be used anywhere. He's my guy to watch, and I think that this defense is going to be scary. It's just the offense that's holding me back from saying that this team could make some noise, and that's why I have them at 5-11 and 11, is just because of the offense. But truly... I mean, I might eat my words because this defense is good enough where they could be very close in games and it could be the opposite and they could make some noise. And also just looking now, they have Jerry Tillery and he's a guy to watch too because last season was uh, off kind of rookie year because he didn't have a lot of playing time. Next season, I think he could make some noise. Yeah, this defense is going to be solid to say the least. Well, that leaves us with the new Las Vegas Raiders. Before we get to all of their additions and losses and players to watch, I really want to start talking about the quarterback position. They went 7-9 and last year. They have, obviously, still Derek Carr as their quarterback, but they acquired Marcus Mariota in the offseason. 
how long do you think the leash is with Derek Carr before the Raiders say, you know what, we're not really going anywhere with you. Let's see what Mariota can do for us. I know you spoke off air a little bit about a Ryan Tannehill effect. Can you explain that a little bit for our Actually, listeners? Actually, I have a bold prediction. I think Marcus Mariota starts an NFL game next season before Justin Herbert does. I think that the leash is short with Carr. Uh, I think it's similar to actually how Mariota was last year. As much as maybe John Gruden will come out in training camp and say, our cards are behind Derek Carr, you know, everything is done for Carr, this is Carr's team. I don't buy it for a second. I think that if he had proven that, John Gruden wouldn't have to answer questions about it. And it seems like continuously, it's so much smoke around, is Carr the guy? Can Carr be the guy? Is Carr a good quarterback? Is Carr capable of leading a team to the playoffs? I think John Gruden's a great coach, and I think that he's capable of playing... I mean, he was in the media. He's capable of playing the media to a point where a move could be pulled off similarly to what Tennessee did last year, where it may seem like a surprise at first, but Mariota could all of a sudden be... Marcus Mariota is going to start, and nobody would probably blink an eye because John Gruden's able to play it that way. Carr's been a subject of the media for, it seems like, the last few seasons of whether or not he's capable of leading this team, and it just wouldn't shock me if Mariota's the quarterback. And as for Mariota, maybe it's me blinded by what he did in the past, but last season he wasn't bad at the start of the season. There wasn't anything that made me think he was... He should have been replaced right away. Against Denver, his defense, which is very good, he had two interceptions and went 7-for-18. That was the only game that was atrocious from the start of the season. He had a game against Jacksonville. He threw for 300 yards. Um, The offense around him just wasn't great at the time. They hadn't gelled yet. And for the most part, he didn't play bad football. And I just think that... I maybe like I said maybe I'm just blindly high on Mariota and I definitely want your opinion on this because am I blindly high on Mariota here or am I the only one who thinks that Car Car's leash is going to be crazy short next season in my opinion? I don't know. It's tough because Car has definitely shown that he can be a good quarterback. He has skill. He has talent. And you know, for a lot of the time when he's been under center. They haven't had really great options for him to throw the ball to. They had Amari Cooper. He's now in Dallas. And they tried to bring over Antonio Brown, and we know what happened there. That just that never turned into anything. So they have Josh Jacobs at running back. You know, they have Darren Waller at tight end, who has shown that he can be a very good tight end. But receiver was the weakest point for that offense and for Derek Carr, and they brought over Henry Ruggs. Uh, in the draft, the wide receiver from Oklahoma. So I think Carr's leash is is longer than you believe so. I I think Carr, it's his job to lose. I think if the Raiders start losing games left and right, and, I mean, they just have nothing going on offense, then, yeah, put Mariota in there, see what he can do. But I wouldn't be surprised if if Carr is the starter throughout the entire season. I mean, they went 7-9 last year. It's not like they went 4-12. and 12. The Raiders, I mean, I didn't even think they went 7-9 and nine until I had to, you know, recheck their record because you never really hear anything good about the Raiders in their games. But I don't know. I think 
I think you're a little high on Mariota personally. Mariota's not a bad quarterback. Uh, he has skill. He has talent. But, you know, sometimes you'd have to find the right fit, and Tennessee wasn't the right fit for him, obviously. He can play. He can make some plays on the field. Um, but I, I don't see him starting for the Raiders this season. I think it's still Derek Carr's team at least for another season before they start to rethink their quarterback situation. Aside from quarterback, they had a lot more additions in the offseason than they did losses. They added people such as Prince of Mukamura, Marcus Mariota, as we said, tight end Jason Witten, Nelson Aguilar, Jeff Heath for safety, linebacker Corey Middleton, safety Demarius Randall, and running back Devontae Booker. So they really solidified that safety position, to say the least, with Jeff Heath and Demarius Randall. And they brought over Jason Witten, who's an older tight end, um, playing his entire career with the Dallas Cowboys. And they brought over Nelson Aguilar from Philly, who's had some trouble in the past with drop passes, but they're really trying, it seems, to solidify the weapons around Derek Carr. I mean, with Ruggs and Aguilar coming over, that helps the wide receiver room a lot. Which of these additions that I mentioned do you think has the biggest impact on potentially helping Carr retain that starting job? I think it's actually Jason Witten, because off-air before, I joked, but I kind of forgot Witten had went to Vegas, and something about it to me that I think, you know, we touched on Derek Wolf before, his impact on that defensive line. Well, I think that Jason Witten's going to be able to mentor the weapons around Carr. If you look at the guys around him, they're young. I mean, Henry Ruggs, rookie. Hunter Renfro, he's making his second year next year. Zay Jones, young. Um, Josh Jacobs, young. He's the kind of guy that is going to go into that offensive skill room and kind of be the pillar of this is how you do it, spoken from a guy who's done it. He's a true player's kind of I mean, he's going to be a player coach next year, in my opinion. I think he's going to be able to tutor everybody, really. Even Carr can learn some things from him. He's played with great great quarterbacks. He's great played with great coaches, great players. I just think that Witten's at a point in his career, actually similar to when we talked about Greg Olson, where he's going to be able to kind of mentor the guys around him, and that's going to be the impact he leaves, and I think that's bigger than anything any of these other guys could make. So you have him sort of as a Josh McCown. Exactly, that's kind of where I'm thinking. How do you kind of see? How much... Yeah, I agree. I agree with your position on Witten, but, you know, I think he's going to help Carr, obviously, but I think he's really going to help Darren Waller, too, who is a very good receiving tight end, and he can make some plays. And, you know, Jason Witten always seemed to be that guy where it's a third and long, they need to convert a first down, and somehow... Jason Witten is wide open in the middle of the field. I think he can use some of that technique and some of his wisdom to help Darren Waller become one of the top tight ends in football, which then will ultimately help Derek Carr. Now, moving to the defense, we both have the same defensive player to watch. We both have Max Crosby. I know you have expressed your your satisfaction with how Max Crosby played last year and your high hopes for him this year. Why do you like Max, uh, Max Crosby sacks, so much? Ten sacks, four forced fumbles in his first season. He was tied for 15th in the league with sacks, tied for fifth with forced fumbles. As a rookie, he's only 22. 
he's got so much room to grow and the fact that he was already doing that in year one I think that there's so much room for him to grow that he's only going to get better and I think that uh I just think the way he goes about preparing the way he goes about himself on the field he's willing to take risks that you know maybe other edge rushers aren't willing to take I think that he's going to be a guy who sneakily has a breakout year on their defense this year and I thought he had a very good year last year but I think that he's going to have a sneaky breakout year and he's your breakout guy as well so what makes you think that uh, Crosby is going to be their guy I mean, you touched on the numbers. He had a very good rookie showing, and I don't see him taking a huge jump, but I think, you know, he he plays a little better. I think that he's definitely going to be a force to be reckoned with on this defense, and he's going to help uh, their secondary by adding some pressure because their secondary isn't the strongest. Yeah, they added Prince of Mukamura and Jeff Heath and Demarius Randall, but they lost cornerback Daryl Worley and safety Carl Joseph, and I really liked Carl Joseph on the Raiders. But, you know, with their additions outweighing their losses, they're still not the strongest secondary. They need some pass rush to help take some pressure off of them, and Max Crosby is that pass rush, and he's going to really, really help this defense, especially for a team that used to have Khalil Mack rushing the passer, and now, you know, they have someone younger who is not on Khalil Mack's level, but he can definitely disrupt quarterbacks and opposing offenses. So... We spoke about all the teams. We touched on their records a little bit. Before we sign off here, let's get your final record predictions for the AFC West. So, starting with the Kansas City Chiefs. So Go ahead. I have the Kansas City Chiefs at thirteen and three. How about you? Yeah, I think thirteen and three sounds good. I think that they are just an overly dominant team, especially on the offensive side. And you know, I mean, their defense is no joke. Their defense is solid and. 13-3 and three just sounds right for this Chiefs team that I think is going to make another run at winning another Super Bowl. Second place, Denver who do you Broncos. have here? I have them at the uh, bold prediction, as you called it, 10-6. and six. Yeah, I have them at 8-8. Eight and 10-6 eight. and six seems a little, uh, little high to me, but uh, let's see if you prove me wrong. Third place. Las Vegas Raiders at 8-8, eight and, eight. and also... Any of these fantasy players out there, draft Lynn Bowden Jr. I touched on him in uh, our prior conversation, but Bowden plays quarterback, he plays running back, he plays wide receiver. Last year, had 74 pass attempts, 206 rushes, and 114 receptions. He plays everywhere. He is a dynamic flex player for your guys' fantasy team. So look out for him, but it's 8-8 eight and eight for me for the Raiders. How about you? Eight and eight's a little bold for me. I'm gonna go seven and nine again, um, but yeah, I mean you touched about uh, that player there, Bowden, um, and he's gonna be a guy. He's a little bit of an unknown name, but he can definitely make a name for himself this upcoming season. And you talked about in fantasy at the flex position, he's someone that you could get, you know, undrafted. I don't think anyone's gonna have him on their draft boards, but interesting player to watch for the Raiders. That leaves the Los Angeles Chargers in fourth in your record predictions. I'm what do you sorry, have for Los them? Angeles fans, if there are any of you, five and eleven. Yeah, I don't want to say five and eleven because I don't want to hurt their feelings. But I think there's just too much going on with that quarterback room and too much uncertainty about who's going to be starting the majority of the games at this moment to say that they're going to have a better record than five and eleven. Um, 
you know, they had some additions and losses, but their losses really do outweigh their additions. So I don't think there's any way that they improve on that 5-11 and record from last season. So I'll stick with that. I don't want to put it any lower. Uh, so that does it for us. You can, uh, once again, you can find me on Twitter at Brendan Carp ESM. Uh, thanks for joining us, Dylan. You want to give a little uh, sign Yeah, off you can here? find me on Twitter at Dylan Price 27 And yeah, we'll be back next week with another AFC division. And yeah. Thanks for joining us. And if you haven't already, make sure you go check out that new Mahomes contract. <laughs> it will blow your mind. Thank you.